I'm Evan Lazar, joined as always by Alex Barth. And we're doing a pod today because there is actually some Patriots news to report and to discuss. The Patriots making a signing this morning, bringing back offensive tackle Trent Brown. We'll talk about how the offensive line is going to shake out, if we like the Brown signing, how the rest of the line is going to look, some targets that maybe they could go after. And the Patriots also hosted officially three people on a visit but unofficially four as multiple reports have said that Malcolm Butler was also in town today so Ryan Bates Leonard Fournette and Josh Dobbs who was the one surprise that was not reported on were in Foxborough for a free agent visit as was Malcolm Butler earlier today so a lot going on in Patriot land kind of seems like they decided to sit out the first week of free agency for the most part. And now this is when they're going to get down to the nitty gritty and start doing some work. Let's start with the official signing first though, Alex, Uh, Trent Brown back on a two-year contract felt like after Lyle Collins signed with the Bengals yesterday that the Patriots then pivoted back to Brown and made this thing happen with Trent who was out in Seattle and getting courted by the Seahawks. He ends up coming back to the Patriots It's where he's played his best ball. The Patriots have certainly been a better team with him on the field, but this doesn't come without some injury risk. And I I don't think that you can put all your eggs in the Trent Brown basket just because of his recent injury history. Sure. But I I ultimately really like the deal. We still haven't gotten the money on it. Have we? No, no. I missed that. No. Okay. Um, But yeah, no, they needed, you don't want to have to, overhaul your offensive line that's another starter coming back i said this on whenever the last show we did was thursday i wanted whoever they signed at right tackle on a multi-year deal because i think having to replace two tackles next offseason with win on a contract here that's a very tall task if brown gets hurt it doesn't matter if it's a one or two year deal if he gets hurt you're replacing him next year anyway if he stays healthy now you don't have to worry about it so we have to wait and see the money uh i would what did collins got what like 10 million yeah, he got a three-year, $30 million max value. So I would imagine it's something between, what, 215 and 218 for Trent Brown, right. somewhere in that range, depending on how much of a hometown discount he was willing to give the Patriots. But that's about right. For a starting right tackle, that's a pretty good deal. Even with his injury history, that's about right. So, yeah, you can't, you know, checked a lot, a lot of boxes with that deal. Felt good about that. Like I said at the end of every show last week, it's a long process. I know it didn't get off to the start everybody wanted, but – now you're kind of start, starting to see some of these some of these moves come together. Yeah, I, I think after you see Trent Brown come back, when he went out to visit with the Seahawks, there was some concern that he was wasn't going to leave Seattle without a contract, and the Patriots were going to be replacing three offensive line spots instead of just two. Now you sort of see the writing on the wall of what they're kind of doing, right? Where the, this picture on the offensive line is coming a lot more clear, at least on paper, you put Trent Brown at right tackle. You're probably putting on Wenu at right guard on that right side. You have Brown and on Wenu together on the right side. And good luck trying to get that, you know, those two guys from moving the line of scrimmage, right? If you're opposing right. defensive line and the Patriots are running the football to off the right-hand side with both those guys over there, that's, 340 plus 380 what 800 pounds of mass I mean that's that's a big big side to form there with those two guys that's going to be really difficult to to deal with now it puts the Patriots in a situation where they basically only have the left guard spot to fill or one of the guard spots depending on where they decide to put on Wenu this feels a lot better 
than when we came on the show post Shaq Mason trade. And there was a lot of things floating around in the air. We didn't exactly know what this offensive line was going to look like. Now, I don't want to ignore the fact that Trent Brown has not played a full season since 2018. He's played 26 out of 50 games in the last three years, played nine games last year for the Patriots. Again, they were noticeably better statistically and just from the eye test when he was out there last year. He's a good football player. We know that they still need to hedge their bets here, right? I mean, they still need to bring in another guy that either can play on the right side at right tackle or allow on Wenu to kick back out to right tackle if need be, or something along those lines. Yeah. And I, I still think tackles are pretty significant uh, need in the draft. I think you have a couple of guys in this class that realistically could play either side in the NFL. You take one of those guys like, so for instance, here. Nate Solder, when they drafted him, he played right tackle his first year because Matt Light was still here. And then they moved him over to the left side the next year and they they got Sebastian Vollmer after that. I wonder if a similar setup is kind of where you go because Isaiah wins no guarantee either. Draft the tackle who can play either side and he's going to fill in somewhere and then he gives you insurance this year. Right. And then you have a potential starter, like draft this guy relatively high. And then you have a potential starter in one of those two spots next year. I think that's a big, big deal. So as we get closer to the draft, we start looking at tackles. I know there's tackles you like. I know there's tackles I like. But I think even more so than a normal year, we're going to be putting a premium on some of those swing tackles because that's now a big role. Right. And I know that you always uh, laugh about, the well, let's move every tackle inside to guard, right? But I do right. think that a guy that can play guard and tackle – would go a long way for the Patriots because so you don't. I come, I come on when I come in when we then because apparently he's a guy who should move inside to guard according to NFL Network. Yeah, you just don't know where the spot will be need. You might need to fill right. It could be right. a guy that could compete at left guard right away. It could be a guy that if one of their interior guys goes down, fills in for one of those guys inside, or it could be a guy that moves over when Trent Brown goes down or whatever, you know, when you start shuffling things on the offensive line, you have to have options. The one guy I want to mention in that realm who I've really, really liked in the film that I've seen is Sean Ryan from UCLA, a chip Kelly guy played left tackle at UCLA. One of those guys, Alex, I'm sorry that a lot of people project to move inside the guard just because of his range and limitations in terms of protecting his edge out at tackle, but he can play tackle and he can play guard at a high level. Those are the types of guys that I would look for in the draft. If they're not going to go early top 50 pick with a Trevor Penning or a Bernard Raymond to check that box, right? And say, we have our left tackle for the next five years, right? If they're not going in that direction right. and they're going more for the guys that have starter potential, they'll find a place to start them down the road. But more importantly, now their insurance policies for different spots along the offensive line I like a guy like Ryan. I know um, Parham from Memphis is more of a guard prospect, but he's somebody that a lot of people like because he's got that three interior versatility, can play both guard spots and center. There are also some guys in free agency that I still like. One of them, the Patriots hosted today in Ryan Bates. He's going home uh, now without a contract, but that's by design. He's going to go on another visit later on in the week and then come to a decision and make a decision based off of that. But he had a great visit from what I'm told with the Patriots met with a bunch of people and enjoyed his time there today. We'll have a 
little bit of a, a visit that had, you know, kind of come to a decision of who's going to sign the offer sheet with, and then go with throughout the process there. Do, do you like Bates who they had in today and maybe some of the other free agents that are still out there on the market? Yeah, but I don't, in terms of what you're talking about, like with depth, Bates, you're bringing in to start at left tackle. You're not bringing in Bates to hedge your bets. Right. Left guard, so, right. yeah. Right. In that, or what I say, left tackle, left guard. Yeah. yeah. So in, in that sense, I like them because I think they need a starting guard. And right now the, you know, if they don't sign him, it feels like they're addressing that need through the draft. Now that's another pick you need to make in April that you don't maybe have the assets for. So I'm all for signing an NFL ready guard. It's a relatively affordable position. Um, I'm all for signing an NFL ready guard to fill out that starting group. Yeah, I just put in terms of what you're saying of they need to make sure they have versatility and depth up front. Again, I agree with that. That's not why you're signing Bates, though. You're signing Bates to be the fifth starter. And then, you right. know, you jump, you you bump Ferentz back. And now Ferentz is your top backup guard unless William Sherman right. has made tremendous strides this offseason, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that the biggest hurdle, I guess, is the way to put it with a guy like Ryan Bates is he's got suitors, right? He's got the Minnesota Vikings that are after him. He's got the Patriots that are after him. And there's a third team that's in the mix here that's after him as well. And then the Bills want him back. So there's at least four teams in on Ryan Bates. And he's also a restricted free agent. The Bills have the right to match any offer sheet that he signs. So in order to get Ryan Bates out of Buffalo and away from all these other teams, you're going to have to offer him some money. He's going to sign a contract that's probably going to have some guaranteed money in it. Are the Patriots, the way that they've operated so far this offseason, prepared to give a guy like Ryan Bates six or seven million dollars guaranteed? They wouldn't do that with Ted Karras. Ted Karras went to Cincinnati. I believe his contract, I have to go back and double check, but I believe that he only got like six million dollars guaranteed, five million dollars guaranteed in that deal. That's how the Bengals typically structure their deals. So you're going to have to give Bates at least that to win right. the bidding war. I know it sounds crazy that a guy like Ryan Bates, who's really been a journeyman uh, backup his entire career and has only started for the last half of the year last year with Buffalo, but he's in demand. There's a lot of people that want him. So not only is he a good player, hard nosed guy, really physical blockers, sets a tone, brings that type of intensity the Patriots like, but he's in demand. And he's also got tons of positional versatility. He's a guy that really could play easily play the three interior spots. And the bills actually liked him as a five versatile guy, as a five spot guy, right? They could put him on tackle if they wanted to as well. So he was somebody that they had active a lot of the time on game day, even though he wasn't in the starting lineup, he was active on game day because they knew if somebody went down, we could just put Ryan Bates in the game at that spot and the train would keep rolling very similar type of player and profile to Ted Karras. It's a very similar type of situation. So are the Patriots going to up their offer and compete on the market for a guy like Ryan Bates? They clearly have interest in him. They wouldn't have brought him in if they didn't, but that feels to me like, I don't know if the Patriots are going to be willing to give the guaranteed money. Now, Buffalo they made a lot of moves. They've signed Von Miller. Uh, they've obviously up Josh Allen's contract. They've made a ton of moves, but at the same time, they want to retain the player. So you're going to have to give him some term. You're going to have to give him some guarantees. Some other names on the free agent market at offensive line. Real quick. I, I, yeah. 
or, or you can go with that first. Sorry, I thought you were going to change positions just before we get off this position. No, some, some other names on the offensive line I wrote about today. We're going to talk all, a lot more about the guys in the draft, certainly, as the next couple of weeks uh, unfold. But am I crazy for kind of liking the idea of somebody like Eric Flowers here? Because uh, his tape's a yeah. lot better. His tape's a lot better than people think. He was a former number nine overall pick. So everybody, because he wasn't great, right? Because he wasn't an all pro player. He's a bust for the giants, but they're not asking him to be the ninth overall pick here, right? They're just asking him to be a serviceable lineman. He was serviceable last year from Washington. From what I've seen, he's a guy that has moved inside the guard, used to play tackle top 10 pick in the past. Those are the types of things that sometimes they take chances on. They take flyers on these types of guys. I'm not saying that you're signing Eric Flowers to be your day one starter at left guard. I'm saying you're signing Eric Flowers to throw his name in the hat, right? And then you get into camp and you compete for the spot. Yeah, but it 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 gets weird there because, like you said, Flowers really wasn't great at tackle. And so if you're signing him guard. to be yes. – Right. So there goes the positional versatility. He's a mess of tackle. We've seen that. So maybe if you're signing right. him to be the starting guard, sure. But like you can't kick him out to tackle. This is a situation where there's a chance you might need that. He's better than nothing. I, I can't get excited about Eric Flowers. I just can't. That's fair enough. I'm not excited about it either, but it's just a name I threw out there. I really like Trey Turner as well. He has a little Trey bit Turner's of Shaq. Good. He has a little of Shaq Mason in his game, but he's a right guard. He plays he's played right guard his entire career, similar to Mason. So now you're talking about Onwenu playing on the left side, which isn't necessarily a problem, but it's just not exactly what I projected or envisioned when this Shaq Mason trade happened. But if you sign a guy like Trey Turner, who's a veteran player, been in the league almost 10 years, you're probably not going to move him to the left side at this point. He's probably going to be on the right. But I I like the idea of somebody like Trey Turner. I think that he's a, a solid, reliable type of veteran player. He's solid last year for Pittsburgh. Sure. Uh, the one other thing, because just people were mentioning it in the chat. We we're talking about guards. And I yeah. saw you tweeted about this earlier. Isaiah Wynn's not a guard. Not in their system. That's not yeah. going to happen. That's not the answer. Yeah. It's not the solution. Also, then yeah. you need a new left tackle, which is now you're talking about needing to use a, a first-round pick, right? If you Is it worth locking in your first-round pick a tackle? You have need a corner. You need a linebacker. A lot of the people who want to move Isaiah Wynn into guard are also the people who still want them to use a first-round pick on a receiver. Right. You can't do both of those things. You, realistically, you can't. I mean, you could. It's not going to end well. He's not going to be a guard. He's not in New England. If he went elsewhere in a different system, I could see it. It's not happening here. I, I don't know why we keep doing the Isaiah wins a guard thing. We, it started when he got drafted because of his size and because of his arm length and all right. that kind of stuff. And it's followed him for four years now. And the Patriots have never viewed him as a guard. I remember having conversations in when we had media availability with Dante Scarnecchia, and he would say to the group of us, right to our faces, we view Isaiah as a tackle, period, right? Right. And he's never practiced at any capacity other than when they shuffle up the line, which they do with everybody, right? Just to have guys get some reps in other places at times. They've never really tried him at guard. He's played, I think, one game in his entire NFL career at guard, and that was it. He's been at left tackle for the rest of his career. They're not moving him in year five on his fifth-year option. After all this time, they're not sitting in the back right. and saying, now he's a guard, right? I, I just – I don't know why we keep I don't know doing that, 
I don't know that he would do that. You might run into some issues where he might then turn around and say, well, you can trade me. I'm not going to play guard. You can trade me because he's in a contract here. He wants to get paid like a tackle. Right. People also, I think a lot of the issues with Win, and, and this in itself is an accurate assessment. I think one of Wynn's biggest shortcomings is just his availability. He's been serviceable. He's not an all pro, but he's a good left tackle when he's on the field. One of the biggest issues has been injuries. Moving him into guard is only going to make that worse. It's a more physical position. So if you're worried about him staying on the field, moving him into guard is not the answer. It's just you're you're not solving – like moving Isaiah Wynn into guard again, they could theoretically do it. Yeah. But it's not solving any of the problems you think it's solving. I don't know that it's solving any problems. Uh, no. But I it's mean, certainly so not important. solving – like Wynn's biggest issues as a player are not erased by moving him into guard. I think what yeah. he struggles with at tackle, he's going to struggle with more so on the interior. If you think they should upgrade at left tackle, that's a conversation we can have and we will have when we start right. getting into the draft stuff. Like, that's a fair conversation. Sure. Moving win into guard isn't a part of that conversation. They're going to upgrade a left tackle. They're not. If they bring in a new left tackle, win, win just moves to the bench. He's not going to move yeah. inside. Yeah, I think these are two different conversations we're having. One right. is... It, do they so, need to upgrade real, real quick in the chat? And, so yes, Win Win has zero positional flexibility. Correct. Yeah. He, yes, he's the tackle. Uh, right. There. W- one of the conversations is the Patriots need to have a long term plan and potentially upgrade at left tackle. That's one conversation that we're having. Right. The other conversation that we're having is that Isaiah Win is not a guard. Right. Like those are right. the two right. things. And regardless, everybody throwing it out there. Okay. Well, you move Trent to left, and then you have Win. No matter what permutation you come up with or combination you come up with you're still one starter short on the line so whether you're finding a new right tackle or you're finding a new right guard or you're finding a new left guard regardless of all those types of things you're still a body short on the offensive line so there's still half that uh, hole to fill so I don't I agree with you I don't think it really solves as, as much as people think he's also have has a a lot of trouble I would say with length and guys that get into his body and get into his chest quickly. And that's everything in the interior hand positioning and who gets to the chest first is how you win when you're inside, right? Whether it's against the run or the pass. So that's been his biggest problem. I would say out at tackle is guys that have good length and have good get off good first step explosiveness are able to get into his chest. And because he doesn't have that length to then press the, him them off of him, he's kind of lost when he doesn't get hands on first. He's a guy that needs to set aggressively. He needs to be an aggressive pass setter. He needs to go out and get his guy instead of having the guy sit back and come to him. Like on the other side with Trent, he's so massive that Trent Brown can just sit back in his chair and catch people, right? He can just let make people come to him and go through him. Isaiah Wynn is the opposite. He's got to play a different type of game. He's got to be more physical and more forthright with contact. So I don't think that solves any problems by moving him inside. I I agree with you there as well. I want to take a second to shout out our friends at betonline.ag. It's that time of year. As college basketball takes center stage as the tournament is finally upon us. Looking to wager this year, bet online 
is the number one spot for all your updated odds and information, along with the greatest contest, including the bracket contest where you have a chance to take home the top prize. Head over to the website or use your mobile device today to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code CLNS50 to get started. But online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all the popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. Moving over to uh, some of these other visits today, one that perked up my ears certainly this morning when I saw it was Malcolm Butler coming to town uh, back for the Patriots uh, or at least for a visit. We, we have no clue if he's actually going to sign with New England. Sat out last year, didn't play last year, was a one-year retirement. Reports out there long before this visit that Malcolm Butler is trying to make a comeback into the NFL after sitting out the year last year. His 2020 season in Tennessee wasn't awful. Uh, it wasn't good. It wasn't awful. Uh, he gave up over 900 yards in coverage, but he played a lot. He played over 1,000 snaps had five picks on the year. It was not a terrible season for him in 2020. Uh, how do you feel about this? Cause I think there's obviously multiple angles to it. One is at least initially, it's going to be a little bit of a circus if they sign him, right? Like why is he yeah. here? The questions that Bill Belichick is going to present and open up from the reporters in the room if he signs a guy like Malcolm Butler, you know the questions about uh, Super Bowl 52 are coming, right? Or 51, whatever right. it was. 52, I think Two. I got it. Two. Yeah. Two. You know the questions are immediately coming. Uh, I'm sure Shaughnessy or somebody's going to come down the first day at training camp and start, you know, blowing up the spot with those questions. So he's bringing on those types of questions. I don't even know if Malcolm Butler can really play anymore. So from a football standpoint, I'm not sure it's really worth it. But it feels like they're at this point with corner where they have to throw some veterans. Like I said earlier, with a guy like Eric Flowers, you got to throw some veterans in the hat and see if one of these guys stick. Right. And Malcolm Butler right. kind of feels like another one of those types of guys. Yeah. Uh, and again, they, they just need that kind of player. They, the cupboards bare at corner. It's not just about needing a number one corner. You need depth as well. I like Malcolm Butler. Even after a year off, I'll take Malcolm Butler over Terrence Mitchell, right? I think most people yeah. would. Um, you know, we've some of the names we've floated, guys like Joe Hayden. I feel like Joe Hayden, Malcolm Butler, that's a wash. Butler's been here. He knows the system. He knows what's going to be asked of him. He knows the day-to-day -day routine. I don't hate it at all. They desperately need corners. Even if you draft somebody, you just need a veteran in that room. That's a young room. That's, room. that's a young group. It's a lot of guys that haven't played, right? How much do you want Joe Williams to really play this year if he makes the team? Would you rather Joan Williams or Malcolm Butler? At the very least, Malcolm Butler's your third corner. He bumps Joan Williams down, maybe bumps him off the roster. It's absolutely a good move. This is the kind of move they need to make at this point. And I'm not saying it's enough to fill in the loss of J.C. Jackson, but given what's at their disposal right now, it's their best option. So the number one thing I like about this is that last year, they ran into a situation, and I get COVID was a factor, but COVID's still going to probably be somewhat of a factor where they had practice squad guys playing corner in a playoff game because they had no depth at the position, right? So they had Juwan Williams out there. They had uh, was uh, Bugsby out there playing corner against Buffalo in right. the wild card round. And they never, we talked about it a ton and 
we continue to talk about it after they traded Stephon Gilmore, before they traded Stephon Gilmore, that the Patriots were lacking veteran depth at corner. So now you bring in somebody like Terrence Mitchell, you potentially bring in somebody like Malcolm Butler, and you have two veteran guys that can play if they're called upon. Nobody is saying that Malcolm Butler is CB1 problem solved. Let's walk away from the position in the draft, right? They're still, when we start doing mock drafts, if Andrew Booth Jr. or Kyler Gordon or uh, Keir Elam from Florida are still on the board, when that pick comes up, we're going to talk about it, right? I mean, that's obviously right. going to be a major need for this team. But it's another one of those guys that, keeps you away, like you said, from playing Jawan Williams in a playoff game or playing somebody off the practice squad in a playoff game. He's also somebody that can potentially move inside a little bit or play that Z shadow role where he's guarding receivers that move in and out and aren't necessarily just full-time guys on the outside. So that I like about it too. You obviously have the familiarity with the system. I just wonder one, can he still does he still have anything in the tank? Can he does he still have the juice? Can he still play? And two, it, it does bring up for all the sports radio people, for all the reporters trying to, to grab a story, it does bring up that angle of it too. But this team has dealt with it before. You mentioned earlier to me, like Tim Tebow, right? Coming in right. uh, to training well, camp a few 10 years ago. Let's not go down that road. I'm just saying that, you know, that was a little different. Yeah. You know what I'm but, saying? They, they, yeah. They've brought in these guys before that they you would be concerned. Now it's I think a lot of the time everybody just assume, like sits there and says, "Oh well, they they do this all the time. It always works out. It's fine." Uh, I'm not saying that Malcolm Butler is going to pull an Antonio Brown. Like that's a to- totally unique situation, but it's not always fine, right? Like it's not it doesn't always work out sunshines and rainbows. Like sometimes I feel like it does backfire on them. It it, it doesn't most of the time. Malcolm Butler feels very like Antonio Brown. That was a risk. It was not only all of their cap space that year it was significant dead money. The next year he was basically right. asked to fix their entire yeah, offense. Like Malcolm Butler, yeah. you're giving limited money. It's going to be a one year deal. Worst thing that happens is he has a good camp. You, you plan on having him and then he retires on you. Right. He decides, right. you know what? I can't do it anymore. I, I wouldn't put Malcolm Butler in that category. I think the risk is tremendously low. Yeah. It is. It does. What's, what's what's the, you know what the worst thing that happens is he comes to his press availability, his first media availability tells us all why Bill benched him in the Super Bowl. And Bill cuts him on the spot. Like that's right. the worst case scenario. And then at least we finally get that answer. So whatever. Yeah. It, it does come full circle at that point, right? Like there, there is definitely some of that to it. I, I don't hate the idea of it because of, I think that this familiarity and again, the veteran depth, was just something that they didn't have last year. They didn't have those guys that they could play in a pinch and feel any sort of good about. When they went into that game in the playoffs against Buffalo, we all knew they were porked before the game right. even started. With that cornerback group, we knew they were porked. They're probably still porked with Malcolm Butler and Terrence Mitchell out there, but at least those are two guys that have started in the NFL have good NFL tape. We're not talking about guys that they're pulling off the street and starting in the playoff games. So it would be interesting that that's for sure. Also puts to bed, maybe time heals all wounds and that's part of it. But I think a lot, I'm not going to go into all the conspiracy theories with Malcolm Butler and why it was benched in Super Bowl 52, but some of the crazy ones that you hear where there was real personal feelings involved, maybe go out the door. I know it's been a couple of years now, maybe time heals all wounds, like I said, but 
at some point you have to look at it and say, if something that bad happened behind the scenes, then there's no way he'd be here right now. Right. Yeah. Uh, what, like, there, what, there's one that, like, he threw a punch at Bill in the locker room. Like, that. Yeah. Not, Bill's not bringing him back for a visit if that was it. Um, what's a more ridiculous reunion, though, Malcolm Butler or Stephon Gilmore? Because I feel like if they'll bring Butler back, and Butler would come back, like, hypothetically, if he would, then Stephon Gilmore should be very realistic, I think. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not as far away. You said time heals all wounds. We're talking right. months with Gilmore instead of years, but... That was, a, you know, we're, we're years later. That was a pretty good cornerback duo. Gilmore and Butler. Yeah. Run it back, right? We're getting all these reboots on TV and whatever. I'll reboot that defense. The thing with Stefan Gilmore is that it has not, I don't think it has, I, I truly don't think it has a, a lot to do with the relationship between Gilmore and the team. He didn't love the way that they handled his injury and his rehab from the injury. That was a pressure point. He talked about it publicly. But Stephon Gilmore is a mercenary. If somebody pays him, he's coming, right? I mean, it's it's really that's, that. That's simple. what I'm saying. And I, I think if he sees Bills bringing back Malcolm Butler, I, I mean, what does that say if you're Stephon Gilmore, yeah. right? Doors open for business. So yeah, the Stephon Gilmore he, thing is totally about the money. The and the apparently the Raiders, the the Raiders so, really so want him. So my pitch to Gilmore would be, because I get he's all about the money. My pitch to Gilmore would be. The money you want's not out there. You right. know you can succeed here. Come here, one-year deal, reset the value, then go get paid again. Now, that might be a tough pitch after the way things ended. But like you said, sure. Gilmore's all about the money. If he's going to ultimately end up on a one-year deal, he doesn't want to be in the AFC West. If he's got a one-year deal, does he want to face Russell Wilson twice a year, You know, Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert twice a year, Patrick Mahomes twice a year? He doesn't want to do that. So I, I, I think that could be a successful pitch. Be interesting. I definitely go out there. The question is, is with their cap space, and I, I know that some people don't think the cap matters, and I'm right kind of in between with it, right? Like I think it matters to a point, but it doesn't matter. It's not the, the only thing that matters in these types so of it's situations. Not, you, can, you can buy your way out of cap trouble. It's just about how right. willing you are to do that. Exactly. Good way to put it. With Gilmore – for him to come back here, it would have to be a one-year prove-it type deal, right? He didn't get what was right. out there on the market. He takes a one-year deal, plays well in a system that he knows, and then goes and tries to cash out one more time next offseason. The Patriots, to make that one-year deal work, it would really have to be on the cheap. It, it would have to be something like eight or nine million bucks at the most. And then they would probably still have to convert Matthew Judon's salary to a signing bonus or do some other tinkering with the cap as it is, which they're probably going to do anyways. Right. So it, it doesn't right. really make that much of a difference, but I, I do think it's worth noting that the Patriots cannot pay even on a one-year deal, Stefan Gilmore, $14 million, right. It's going to have to be right. something in the high single digits. So that's, I think a, a big problem with that as well. The other free agent visit that the Patriots had that was officially on the books as well was Leonard Fournette, Bucks running back. This is one of those players that thought he was going to get a much bigger deal on the open market than what's actually out there for him, which I think is a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, he's been really, really good down there in Tampa Bay. But the problem is he's 27 years old. He's played a lot. He's got a lot of carries on the on the ledger. And 
the market's not out there for him. Uh, Over the cap, who does a great job with projecting free agent contracts and things like that. They projected him to get a two-year deal with seven and a half million average per year, almost a $15 million contract on the open market. It doesn't sound like that's happening for Leonard Fournette. Or the only way that it's going to happen is if he starts to take free agent visits and drives up his price with leverage, right? So I'm weary that the Patriots would actually be in the running for Leonard Fournette when push comes to shove. He's a decent fit here from a football perspective. Definitely somebody that belongs in like a power downhill run scheme can catch the ball out of the backfield a little bit, but I think that price tag is going to be relatively high. And my guess is that he's probably using the Patriots a little bit as leverage for Tampa Bay. Maybe, but I, I can also see it. We know they've been interested in Leonard Fournette. They in the do past. love him. Yes. He had a really good year as a receiver last year, 69 catches for 500 yards. We talked to James White today and he only got out of bed three months ago from his injury. I don't know that he's a guy that's going to be available right away. So you need that pass catching back. And then the other thing is Damian Harris is in a contract year. I, I, and they generally don't pay running backs. We'll get more into this next off season, but they generally don't pay running backs, but you see Damian Harris emerging as a leader. He's going to the Celtics games with Robert Kraft, right? He's if they're going to pay a running back, he's probably the guy, but they do. Bill may, see, Bill may see it as Leonard Fournette can come in, replace James White this year and then step in for Damian Harris next year. He's got that versatility. Honestly, if you put him in like a Rex Burkhead role in the Patriots offense where he's both your second early down back and your second receiving back, he's playing about 35 to 40 percent of the snaps. That would be a really, really good fit for the Patriots. Now, I don't know if Fournette's going to do that. He may want to be a bell cow. He's not going right. to be a bell cow if he comes here, but that's a fit. That's a really good fit. And again, we don't know what we're counting on. We don't know what we're going to get from James White this year. You know, I, I don't think you can count on him. And then that, if that's the case, the receiving back job is still wide open. I have some UDFA running backs. I looked into today. I'm super excited about it. I was texting you. We'll get through in a couple of days, but um, you, you still might need a pass catching back this year. You might need an early down back next year. Fournette can do both of those things. I think it makes a ton of sense. Now at the, you know, $6 million a year, that's probably a little rich, but before you bring the money into it, and the money's obviously a big part of it. You can't just ignore that. But before you get to the money part of it, Fournette, really checks a lot of boxes for them. He really does. He's a good player. They like him. They try to get him before he signed with Tampa Bay a couple years ago. He is an ideal fit in this downhill scheme. Like this type of scheme that they have typically ran here. Leonard Fournette, when he's on his game and he's healthy and he's at the peak of his powers, is one of the better gap scheme runners in the league. Just pull a guard, let him go through the hole with the guard, and watch him take off with the football. He's almost, he's not as big as LeGarrette Blunt was, but he's got that kind of like, he's so... It's the same style. Same style, and he's so physical, and he's so big that once you get the train moving, right. good luck getting in front of the train, right? So the, it's he's one of those types of guys. He's not going to jump cut out of a tackle or spin out of a tackle he's gonna run through tackles and, and those are the, always the types of guys the Patriots like Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson have had some injury history in the past especially Damian Harris has been on and off the field at times they could look at it in that way too that they feel like this needs to be an insurance policy as well what I come back to is the money and the fact that Leonard Fournette 
is he really going to be okay with 100 carries? Because that's not going to get him the payday next year that he wants. So if the money wasn't out there for him now, and he comes to New England and he's in a rotation with Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris, the money's still not going to be out there for him next year. So that's the part that I have a difficult time with Leonard Fournette. I've always liked the player. He's a good football player. He'd be fun to have here. He's not that old. He's only 27 still. That's so, old yeah. for running back, though. It's a little bit old, but it's not. We're not. Do you know how many like running backs there were in the league last year over the age of thirty that like actually played? Not a lot. That's 11. probably why the contract's not out there, right? Like right. that's that's why the money's not out there for him. It's a, it's a really interesting signing because they continue to or or visit because they continue to like this guy. They continue to kick right. the tires on the guy. Anytime that they have an opportunity to get their hands on him, they've been interested. They've been in the and, running and trying. And we know he's not opposed. Remember, he was going to sign here. He said if it wasn't for Brady, he would have signed here in 2020. If Brady right. hadn't called him to join him in Tampa, he would have yeah. signed here. So then again, it was a different situation. We talk about he wants the touches to get the contract and all of that. But He's not opposed to the idea in general of playing in New England and playing for Bill Belichick. And by the way, he's played in Jacksonville. He's played in Tampa. He plays college football at LSU, you know, down in Louisiana. But you mentioned the running style. Leonard Fournette in the winter in New England. Oh, that would be something. That's, that that's would where, be something. When you look at like Leonard, uh, Leonard, uh, LeGarrette Blunt splits by month, right? right. His, his December, January splits are always insane, right? Like they're right. always, I mean, he, he, that's where he made his money. I just remember Blunt in those Colts playoff games. Yeah, too, in the rain and the snow. For people, yeah. I mean, that yeah. seems like Leonard Fournette's wheelhouse. I don't mind it that much. You know, I don't like running backs. It drives me crazy to pay a running back any sort of money, but I know the way the Patriots think, and I know the way the Patriots work. And they're going to want four running backs on the roster that they can trust on game day in the lineup. And right now they have two and a half. I'm counting James White as a half for the time being, because we don't know yeah, about he, the injury. He's an unknown. Yeah. So we're, I'm saying they have two and a half without Brandon Bolden in the building. They don't have Brandon Bolden anymore. I know they signed Tom Montgomery. They, when they announced the signing, I wouldn't look too much into it, but they did announce him as a wide receiver. And I do think that they look right. at right. Montgomery as more, of a special teams replacement for Brandon Bolden on kick coverage units than an offensive replacement for a guy like Brandon Bolden. So they need to, they still need to have, there there needs to be another back. I I don't necessarily think there needs to be another back, but the Patriots I know do. And I think they also don't really think JJ Taylor's it. He's been in the building for a while. They've never given him the opportunity at this point. So they know they they're going to get another back one way or another whether it's the draft, whether it's Leonard Fournette, whether it's another veteran running back that's a little bit cheaper than Leonard Fournette, whether it's a UDFA that's on Alex's list, they're going to have some sort of there's, – there's going to be another running back in the mix here. Right, yeah. And, uh, yes, I, Max Borgie will have – he's included in my my running back preview, which will be up Thursday on 985sportsup.com. Quarterbacks tomorrow, series starts quarterbacks tomorrow, running backs Thursday, wide receivers next week. There, look at this. Look at that tease. I like that. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. So we talked about Butler. We talked about Fournette. We've talked a little bit about Ryan Bates at the beginning. Josh Dobbs. I mean, is this just due diligence at this point? I, I, I'm i not going to lie to you. It's not like I've sat there and studied a whole lot of Josh Dobbs tape. The one thing that I do wonder, 
I know he can run, right? I mean, he's a dual threat quarterback. Start talking about some things with, I'm not going full Taysom Hill here. I'm thinking more practice squad scout team responsibilities, potentially. They have Jared Stidham. They have Hoyer. They obviously have Mack. There's also a chance that Jared Stidham potentially is not on this roster. I don't know what they are. There's nothing they could get for Jared Stidham, right? I mean, Matt Ryan got traded for a third round pick today. Maybe so, pick swap, if anything. It, right. Maybe you move up 20 spots, right? I, I don't know. I mean, come on. I, what are we going to do here? But Jared Stidham, I, I think Josh Dobbs is doing due diligence. I, I don't want to look too far into it. The one angle I, I do kind of see happening potentially is if they were to sign him, they get him on the practice squad. They have him as a scout team quarterback. They do have a decent amount of dual threat type QBs on their schedule, right? They had to take Josh Allen right. on towards the year. They have guys like that. You have to emulate that in practice. I mean, what, what, how, how do you feel about this other than that? Yeah. I mean, look, he's their kind of guy. He's, he's a brilliant, like per not, not like even like football. Like he's an aerospace engineer major. He wants to go work for NASA yeah. after his NFL career. I mean, really smart guy. They just like having those kind of people around. Right. Um, can he do calculus equations with Matt Patricia? Yeah, actually him and Matt Patricia would probably have a ton to talk about. Those would probably be some really fascinating conversations, but you know, he's got a high football IQ too, to go with that. He is kind of that idea, ideal scout team quarterback. We know they've liked what Jared Stidham does on the scout team. That's part of the reason he's still here. He's on the last year of his deal. First off, they're, they're going to need another arm for camp. They want four arms for camp. Remember, who did they bring back last year late? Was it Dogala or somebody else they had in? They had Dogala um, in there. They had Garrett Gilbert, right, in there for yeah. a while. They're going to want a fourth quarterback. Again, Dobbs checks yeah. some of those. Um, what's the term? Uh, not extracurricular. Um, camp arm. Tangible, intangible boxes, oh. right? So <laughs> I could see it. I could see it. I think yeah. it's like some dude. I, I think it's due diligence, but I don't. There's a reason Dobbs, right? There's a ton of quarterbacks that could have worked out. They worked out Dobbs. I can understand why he's the guy they're doing their due diligence on. He's not coming to replace Hoyer. He's not coming to replace Mac. I don't think he'd have a spot yeah. on the active roster, but I could see him coming to camp and then potentially ending up on the practice squad. I could totally see that with a player like him. Hey, I, he's a great, he's a fun camp arm, right? Like he's a fun guy for us to, to watch in camp. I mean, I know that running quarterbacks in camp, they wear the red Jersey. They don't really get tackled. It's not really the same, but if he gets to play in like a fourth preseason game for the Patriots in the second half, right. I'm all for it. Our third preseason game. Sorry. There's not, there's no longer four. Uh third preseason game in the second half. I mean, it'd be more fun than Jared Stidham. I think, I honestly. guess, I don't know. Bring back. Let's see what, let's see what uh, Jim, Jamar Smith does in the USFL. Uh, yeah. Maybe if he rolls oh, out, bring him back. Uh, you, were, you can't you bring up Jamar Smith. In. You can't bring you up were, Jamar Smith. You're going to watch him, right? Like, I know you're super against the Spring to. League because you hate fun, but you have to Bill, watch Bill, Jamar Smith. Bill Belichick calls it the World League, Alex. All right. Let's he calls them right. all the World League. That's just his general, <laughs> how he refers to all non-NFL leagues. He's a great unknown. What would, honestly. In Bill Belichick's voice when that came up, just the disgust on his face of, we're talking about the AAF in my press conference was like, not only did it shatter Alex's world, but it made all of us crack up. So it was Meanwhile, great all around. <laughs> he, he keeps signing players from these leagues. Devonte Bosby was the AAF guy. He was like in the running for defensive player of the year in the AAF. He keeps signing players from these leagues. Maybe he's shooting it down because he doesn't want other teams to look at it. But yeah. 
seriously like weird tangent here but we have 20 minutes to fill and i think we more or less hit the topics jamar smith is a fascinating what if to me right they cut the roster from 90 to 80 because of covid he was one of the 10 guys who got cut without getting to camp but he was electric at louisiana tech he really was and the competition was going to be wide open that year you were at camp i wasn't Obviously, you know, Jared Stidham was nowhere near Cam Newton. It especially in like non-contact, non-padded practices. I Jamar Smith, if he's everything he was cracked up to be, might have torn it up. Really might have torn it up. So I I really wonder what he's gonna look like in this USFL if he lives up to that hype. Because look, Garrett Gilbert was unstoppable in the AAF. And what is Garrett Gilbert? He's a fringe NFL quarterback, but all right, if Jamar Smith tears it up in the USFL, that means he at least deserves a spot on an NFL roster, right? P.J. Walker was the best was quarterback in the XFL. He, he might not be a, a top 20 starter in the NFL, but he is a roster caliber quarterback. I'm interested to see if Jamar Smith is going to be a roster, is an NFL roster caliber quarterback, if he can dominate the, uh, the USFL. So remind me where he went to college again, because I'm totally blanking on it right now. Who, Smith? Yeah. Louisiana Tech. That's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to be wrong. So he made a throw at Louisiana Tech into the cover two hole on smash, like corner out, right? You have stick corner. And he made a throw to the corner. That was one of the prettiest throws that I have seen in that entire college draft class, right? I mean, this was two classes ago. It wasn't the greatest of classes. It wasn't the, it was the Herbert to uh, that group, right? Burrow. So it ended up working out pretty well, right? I mean, obviously with, with those two, Herbert. Right, but it dropped off. I mean, Jordan Love was the first. That was Jordan Love's year, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, The throw he made into the cover two hole was fantastic. Like it was, it was one of the best throws out of that class that anybody had made. And I was sold on that one play. Like he read it out perfectly. He held the boundary corner down and he ripped it right into the hole. And I was like, just bring this guy to camp. Like I got to see this guy in training camp. I would have much rather have watched him in training camp than some of the guys that they brought, you know, that were, remember they elected to keep Brian Lewerke instead. Right. Right. Come on. Like, the first like five or six training camp practice, that was the year that training camp was closed due to COVID, but some of us were able to get right. in. The first five or six practices before Cam started to find some semblance of a rhythm was some of the worst passing game NFL play that I've seen. I'm not just talking about the quarterbacks. I'm talking about the receivers, the quarterbacks. I mean, you got like Ryan Izzo is like getting first team reps at tight end. It's Demir Bird and Jacoby Myers on the outside. It was, you knew at that point in time that there was problems, right? You knew that that offense is going to have problems through the air. Then it started to turn on when Cam started to pick it up a little bit. Things got a little bit better. Then at the very end of training camp that summer, they started to do some of the design quarterback run stuff with cam that they were going to do in the regular season. And they didn't show us a ton of it, but enough of it was there that you could surmise that they were going to do some of it. And that was when I, it was like, okay, well at least they can lean on this, right? If, if stuff right. hits the wall, at least they can lean on this. So that was cool. But yeah, that I, I I'm all set like with that training camp, like, like I'm, <laughs> let's not do that again. Meanwhile, um, 
we have 700 people right now, at least just on YouTube, listening to us talk yeah. about Jamar Smith. That's pretty I cool. Appreciate I, that. I'm excited there a for it. more Patriots things I wanted to get to, though. Go okay. ahead. Okay. But you are you are gonna watch Jamar Smith. I will make sure of that Birmingham okay, Stallions. We're gonna get right. you. We're fine. gonna get your Birmingham Stallions hat so you can wear it during the game. Can I? Can you get me Birmingham Stallion all twenty two? Then then I'll really get into it. Honestly, these leagues like want the publicity. I think they put it I out. Probably there. can reach out, right? I could probably. You probably could get it. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna hold you to that. Anyway. Okay, so a couple other things happened over the weekend. I wanted to get to. Jakob Johnson went on German media i i sorry Something. i don't speak, i don't speak german so i'm i'm using uh, a follower of ours of the show and I, I thank him a lot uh renee uh he was the one that initially pointed it out to us all of us uh, all the reporters on the beat kind of picked it up from renee's twitter and then he explained to me a little bit of translation of what exactly Jakob johnson was talking about what he was asked so he was asked how it went down with the patriots in the end and he essentially said that Bill Belichick told him that they weren't going to have a fullback on the roster. Hang on real quick here. Uh, Jameson Crowder to the Bills. I don't know how we feel about that. Good player, but he's kind of past his prime. I'm sure uh, I could. I'm sure somebody would tell me that the Patriots are in on Jameson Crowder, but that's besides the point. (laughs) Uh, Is he he an upgrade or a downgrade from uh, 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 Cole Beasley? He's it more he I don't know. Cole Beasley's got the whole COVID stuff going on, but I guess that's kind of in the right. rearview at this point. Jameson Crowder's got injuries all the time. He guys Crowder's only hurt. 28. Feels like he's yeah. been in the league forever. Yeah, because he's always hurt. So he's you yeah. know the hype is always coming back every time he's healthy. So yeah. no traditional fullback on the roster, according to Jakob Johnson in this German print media source. We talked about this when the Raiders signed Jakob Johnson, that this potentially could go in this direction. I wouldn't say that it's 100% confirmation. They could still bring in a UDFA or sign some cheap free agent or something like that. But if they were serious about there being a fullback on the roster, Jakob Johnson got the minimum guaranteed salary for a veteran player from the Las Vegas Raiders. Like his deal is as cheap as it possibly could be. So they were really serious about it. He would still be here. What do you make of this? Do you think it's Johnny Smith time? Do you think it's a hybrid position or somebody like in a Kyle Juszczyk type of mold? Uh, what direction do you see the Patriots going in now? I I wonder if it's spread. Just get back because you get back to more what Mac did in college because Alabama doesn't use a fullback. Just make it look more like that. Maybe you figure out some gadgety stuff with Johnny Smith, but Right. You know, the more I look at it, the more it makes sense. I could see them moving forward with that, or at least without that kind of fullback. Johnny Smith in that move role. We've talked about a guy like Connor Hayward in the draft. Um, Patrick Ricard signed today, but he was a name we threw out there. I could see it. I get look, I, it, it makes sense for them to change it up a little bit. Clearly what they did last year, and I mean, they were successful, six highest scoring offense in the league, but they need to figure out a way to open it up a little bit more. Moving to more of a spread system would work. Um, and this would be classic Belichick. We all figured the defensive system would change, right? Go for man to zone. And well, if you're not bringing any new blood in offensively in the coaching staff, which they brought in Joe judge, but he's been here. We all thought, all right, they're not bringing anybody new. It's business as usual. And they're going to change it up on the offensive side of the ball instead. So I, 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 they won't get rid of the fullback role completely. That would surprise me because I think they want that option in their offense because they are a game plan team. They want that look to be able to give to defenses, to be able to force certain packages onto the field. But a move fullback sort of thing, 
and then when you really need the downhill fullback, the blocking fullback, you bring in an offensive lineman. Hell, maybe you have Juwan Bentley do it, right? I I could totally see them going that way. I absolutely could. I, I like the idea of of uh, Johnny Smith in that hybrid H-back type of role because right. the tape that I, we saw of him last year, the two biggest problems that he had were – Blocking in line with his hand in the dirt, he was didn't have the play strength and didn't have the physicality to survive in line, right? He got pushed back. He was a, a stalemate blocker at best in that position, basically a speed bump, if you will. When he was able to move, when he was able to get some momentum and be on the move and block with his momentum moving forward and getting some speed, he was more effective. So it's different obviously blocking from the backfield and versus blocking from in line or blocking from flexed out off the tight end or off the shoulder of the tackle. It's different from going straight into the backfield. But what I saw from Johnny was that as a traditional inline blocker, he just doesn't have the chops to hold up inside consistently in this system and this take on power, kick guys out, kick ends and outside linebackers out. I don't know if he's got that in him. So being able to put him in more of like a fullback H-back role where he can get some momentum, get some speed behind his pads, and then come through with the contact, I think that that would make him a more effective blocker. The other thing that you had concerns about is he's not a route runner. So he doesn't get open at the top of the route. He doesn't run technically savvy or detailed routes. So if you put him in that fullback role, you can run screens out of the backfield with him. You can run him into the flats as check down options or underneath options. You can get him up on linebackers and have him run past people just with his speed coming out of the backfield. I think that there's a lot more that I like about Johnny Smith's skill set if that's the type of way that they're going to use him. If they're going to use him as an inline tight end, I think that they're going to have trouble with him again next year. If they can get him to be a little bit more like this, I've always envisioned that the Patriots have always wanted Kyle Juszczyk in their offense. I think Johnny Smith can be more like Kyle Juszczyk. I don't think Johnny Smith is Rob Gronkowski, right? You can't. He's not going to put his hand in the dirt and be your sixth offensive lineman and blow people off the football. But can he be that... Kyle Juszczyk do it all type of fullback. I, I think that that's more his role. Now he's got to be really good at it to be worth the contract still. I mean, he's still making $14 million next year. If he's going to be in that kind of role, he's going to have to be really darn good at it. But I think that that's something that I would be more optimistic if that's the direction. And if that's the direction too, I I wanted to wrap it on this. The offensive coaching staff is something that we've all talked about. A lot of people have laughed at a lot of people around the league have laughed at not to overreact to this Jakob Johnson thing, but there does seem to be some semblance of a plan on that side of the ball, right? Like this isn't just, we have no idea what we're doing over there. Shocker. Obviously the bill Belichick's team kind of has a clue of what it's doing. Uh, we've the report is out there that Joe judge is going to be working with quarterbacks. I've heard that Billy Yates is working a lot with offensive linemen, both draft prospects and with guys like Ryan Bates, who they hosted on this visit. So Billy Yates can be heavily involved in the offensive line. He was the assistant coach uh, last year on the offensive line behind uh, Carm Brasello. So he's still in the building. They seem to have some sort of plan with John or with this offense that doesn't involve a fullback and moving away towards the fullback. So maybe things are starting to get a little bit clearer of how this offense is going to run and what it's going to look like and who's going to be where and what responsibilities are going to fall on whose laps. 
Yeah, that's a pretty solid summary of it. Okay, so I don't like. Just, I, I, what, what do I add to that? You covered the whole thing. You went through all the different scenarios. You're right. I know. I do. I'm sorry. I, I should have left one for you, right? Because so well, I said I said my whole part about the you know move fullback, and the, I I don't know. I didn't know where to go from that. Right. We've been going on for 55 minutes now, so we, we've stretched this pretty right. good. Somebody in the chat Boston wants sports minute? minute. You know what? We probably no, no. should. There's a ton going on. We probably should. Okay. All right. Where do you want to start? Um, let's do, well, today's the NHL trade deadline. So I think it's appropriate yeah. to, to start with the Bruins. I think that's probably fair. I, 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 I like the move, uh, Hamas Lind, uh, no, Hampus, Hampus Lindholm. I like the move. I think they've needed a Is second. Tonight? I don't like know. I don't think so. Is it? I'll, I'll look it up while you talk. Um, they've needed a, a, a second legitimate top four defenseman pretty much since Char left, maybe before that. They can pair him with McAvoy. That's a really good top pairing. They can also move him down, split them up, and you kind of float younger defensemen that way. Um, you know, they get him under contract, too. He's 28. McAvoy's young. That's a pairing that's going to be around. And I, I'm not worried about the picks they give up because they haven't drafted well. We've seen this with the Patriots, right? When you When you don't draft well, it sinks you, and it's a little different in hockey than football because the contract, the working contracts work differently. Guys don't come up right away, but we saw the Rams do this. If you're not hitting on the picks, use them to get established players. Um, That being said, I wish they could have done something to get a forward, not trading Jake DeBrusque after giving him the extension is kind of weird. I get they can now go ahead and trade him this off season, but um, yeah, would have liked to see them at a forward. Hopefully DeBrusque keeps playing very well. Overall, though, you feel good about it. They got a really tough division. The East is a wagon this year. Who knows how it ends? Swayman's really young. I worry about him hitting the rookie wall. But it was a good deadline. I think overall for a team that has had disappointing deadlines for a few years, to add Taylor Hall last year, extend him, to add Lindholm this year, extend him, that that feels like a good deadline. Feels like a good couple deadlines. So whenever a team in Boston signs a guy to an eight-year contract, I get nervous, right? That's a long contract. And I know in that sport, the salary cap is really what it is. You take what the total deal is worth, you divide it by the amount of years, and that's the guy's cap hit in that league. It's not as manipulative as the NFL salary cap is. It is, but 6.5 per is really good for a potential top two defenseman. So So I don't know enough about Lindholm to – break down whether or not it's a great contract or not. It seems like a lot of years to me, but you mentioned this need for a top four defenseman. I would also say that once you get into the playoffs, cause I remember like the Chara Seidenberg duo, right? Once you get right. into the playoffs, you need to have that shut down D duo when there's five minutes left in the third period and you got a one goal lead and you got to squeeze out the game, right? You need to have that pairing that you can put on the ice against the opponent's top group and be able to shut them down. And McAvoy is that guy, but he's never, I don't think he's really had that other shutdown guy with him to truly close it down since Chara was in his prime and McAvoy was still pretty young at that point. Right. So getting Lindholm in here gives them that ability that now you got Lindholm, you got McAvoy on the back end, you put that Bergeron Marchant line out there and that that's a really good, let's let's park the bus type of line yeah. right i mean that's a really yeah. good grouping out there so i i like that i i think that this is exactly what the the bruins needed in that respect 
Trevor Story. Yeah, it, so, well, so real quick, Lynn Holmes, not, it doesn't look like he's playing tonight. The, the reason the contract's eight years, I can explain to you. And it's interesting. You mentioned Char and Seidenberg. I was talking to Kevin Majori from Felgren Mass earlier today. He made yeah. that same comparison. Um, yeah. The reason the contract is what it is, had Lynn Holm hit free agency, he was expected to be the top free agent on the market this year. Right. So you had to convince him to stay off the market. He probably would have gotten more than six and a half AAV if he got to free agency. So you throw those extra, call it two years at the end. And that that's how you prevent him from hitting the open market. So it's just, it's a little long. Like you're not wrong. That's kind of just the price of doing business of how contracts work in that league. Fair enough. Okay. Trevor story. Nothing. How do you not like this? Right. I mean, you get a guy that, well, I'll tell you how, if you're a big Xander Uh, Bogarts fan, you're not, but I'm a, I'm a huge Xander Bogarts fan. My family, uh, uh, often vacations down in Aruba and he's always been my guy because of that connection. And also obviously because he's on the Red Sox. So I, I am already disappointed. And so is Jess that Xander Bogarts might not be here long-term after this year, but Trevor story and Xander Bogarts in the infield for this season is going to be a whole lot of fun. That's a guy just watching him, uh, his highlights and stuff like that. That has that like Fenway uppercut swing where he's going to, yeah. I think he's going to hit 30 home runs at, with the Red Sox next year. It's going to be a lot of fun. I think that's realistic, and they desperately needed a right-handed bat, too. I would have liked to see it in the outfield. I would have liked it to be Castellanos, but, uh, you know, him, Bogarts, Devers in the middle of that lineup, we'll see what they ultimately end up doing with J.D. Martinez, but that feels like a really good group. And, you know, worst-case scenario, you have insurance now of Xander Bogarts leaves and Jeter Downs, who was one of the top prospects in the Mookie Betts trade. He should be ready next year. You move Story over to shortstop. You put Downs in at second. Best case scenario, Bogarts re-ups, and you have the best middle infield potentially in baseball right. for however many years, four or five years, right? Um, kind of like Lindholm, it was it ended up being a really team-friendly deal. They they threw some nuggets in for the player. There's an opt-out in there. Uh, there's a player option at the end in there, so that's all really good. Um, yeah, I really like that move. Now they just need to get some freaking pitching. I don't know what the hell their rotation is going to look like. They have Evaldi and Pavetta and then – who knows? I guess Waka looked good today in a spring training start, but uh, Whitlock should be a starter. I don't know that they know what they're going to do with him this year. Uh, I think Houck should be a starter. They don't know what they're going to do with him. Chris Sale, I'm not counting on anything from Chris Sale. If anything, I'd put him in the bullpen. I'd make yeah. him the closer, limit his innings. So they got to figure all that out. But you know what? Baseball's kind of going the way football is. You know, if you have elite pitching, if you have elite defense, you can ride that. But a lot of the teams in the playoffs, you know, the teams that make the playoffs and the better teams in the league, they're just trying to outscore everybody else. They're not too worried about stopping the other team from scoring. So if that's the way the sport is going, story's a great signing and the Red Sox are in great shape. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's how I feel about it too. I think you summed it up great. And I just We've lost love... 150 people since we started the Boston sportsman. By the way. I don't care. We, we carried them for an hour. Yeah. I, there was some other, uh, I think it was Chris Costello who writes, uh, I think for Mass Live, right? For the Red Sox. Catello. Catello, thank you. Yeah. Uh, he does a great job. I, I didn't mean to screw up your name, Chris. He, I, he's one of my favorite guys on the Red Sox. I love reading his stuff about the Red Sox. He had, a, I'm trying to find it, but I, I he tweets a lot, as we all do. So I can't, I can't find it. But he had like the projected lineup of what he thinks it might look like. And you start getting into that two, three, four, five with Story and Xander and Devers and JD. And I mean, that's going to be a really tough lineup to get through. And that's ultimately, I love the idea too of Chris Sale as the closer. 
I, yeah. I, I don't remember if um, John Smoltz, like when exactly that happened and if he went back to starting or whatnot, but later on in their careers, it's not that unheard of, right. To put them in the bullpen and have them close so they don't have to go the full six, seven innings or whatever it might be. Right. Well, the thing with sale is sale came up as a reliever in Chicago He's delivered. You would never have a starter throw the ball the way he throws it. It's too much torque on the elbow. That's why he had to get Tommy John. He just started in Chicago because they just desperately needed starters. And they were like, this guy can throw 102. Yeah. Let's see if he can do it for six innings. Obviously, it worked out. He's one of the best starters in the game for an extended period of time. He came up through the, the college and the minors and all of that as a reliever. So it's not necessarily moving to the bullpen. It's moving back. It, it's somewhere he's pitched before. We know he has the mentality for it. The guy's a competitive freak. It's awesome. I could see it. Like I, I could totally, I don't know that that's what they'll do. I feel like everything I think about the pitching staff, Whitlock and the rotation, say on the bullpen, they're going to do the opposite. What do I know? Right. But we'll see what happens. Okay. So very quickly before we wrap it here, Celtics minute. I've been to two yeah, Celtics yeah. games. I've been to two Celtics games over the last couple of months during, during when they've been on a run, right? Like during this hot streak, yeah. They've lost both games. So I think I'm the bad luck charm. I think I'm the one that needs to stop watching or talking about the Celtics. I went to KG's retirement. It was a fantastic day, but the game stunk and they lost the game. The other game I went to was right before the all-star break. They played the Detroit Pistons and they lost somehow. To the, those the are, I think those are their last two losses. Yeah, I know. And I've been to both of them. All right, stop it's, going. I, it, yeah, I guess so. Uh, terrible. Anyways. But it was uh, – and my dad was not pleased because he wanted to sell the tickets to KG's retirement because we were getting offered a, a King's Ransom for him. And I was like, we can't sell the tickets. We're going to the game. We're going to watch the jersey go up or the number go up. And, of course, they lost. Anyways, Celtics are on an absolute roll. I I mean, come on. They, they can't – how far can they take this, right? Like, are they really right. championship contenders or is this just – because they've done this before. Like they've had these nice runs in March, you know, into April. And then we get to the playoffs and everybody flips a switch and the Celtics kind of just stay the same. And they get to like the second round or maybe an Eastern Conference finals and then they get bounced. Well, it almost kind of feels like where we were at with the Patriots at one point this year. And I remember saying this about the Patriots and saying, you know, I'm not picking them definitively over any of the contenders in the AFC, but I'm not picking any of the contenders in the AFC definitively over them. And it kind yeah. of feels like that's where we're at, right? I don't know that the Celtics are definitively the best team in the East, but I'm not going to say that they're definitely worse than the Nets, right? The Nets are wildly inconsistent and unpredictable. I'm not going to say that they're definitively worse than Milwaukee. Milwaukee goes ice cold from the field on a somewhat regular basis. Miami is kind of, you know, I, they can go punch for punch with Miami. Chicago's the team that scares me the most. I really like that Chicago team. But again, they're yeah. not definitively better than the Celtics. It's all about getting hot at the right time. And by the way, the Celtics' biggest issue is just inexperience, which is easier to overcome than, say, whatever, you know, the Nets' multiple injury issues and Kyrie not being able to play in Brooklyn or Milwaukee, their best player can't shoot, right? Like, inexperience, you overcome that. I'll take them up against anybody in the Eastern Conference. And you get to that final round, Suns are really good. Warriors are really good. You never know what happens when you get to that yeah. point, right? The Celtics stomped the it's Warriors not, the other night. It's not the Kevin Durant Warriors where exactly. they're unbeatable. It's so, not LeBron, right? So, Yeah, I think the biggest thing for the Celtics is early in the season, I, I just think everybody was uncomfortable. You had a lot of turnover. You had a new coach, right, in Ime Udoka. I think 
The players are comfortable with Ime. Ime's comfortable with the players. He's figured out rotations that work. Now that those players are in regular rotations, they're getting used to playing with each other. Uh, I think Derek White is a much better fit for the second unit than Dennis Schroeder was. And it's yeah. they've got the chemistry now. They're all comfortable. We talk about this all the time with the Patriots, right? Guys get comfortable, and they play quicker. They play more confidently, and you see it in the results. I think that's where the Celtics are at right now. Now, hopefully the ending's a little better than it was for the Patriots. But yeah. there, there are there are some similarities there, and I, you can you can like where this team is at. I think a lot of the issues they had early in the year, and again, this is going to compare the Patriots. A lot of the issues they had early in the year were fixable, and they've seemingly fixed them. They're playing lockdown defense. The rotations make sense. It's just a matter of keeping that momentum going. Yeah, it's it's a fun team to watch. I am no longer going to attend games, everybody. You don't have to worry Thank about you. it. I'm going to take a bullet for everyone else. We do, we do have some playoff tickets uh, when that eventually comes, but I, I'm going to tell my dad that he can sell those, and he'll be happy. They, about he can go. Fun. You just can't go. Yeah, he can go, right? He, he can go. But I am obviously bad luck for the Celtics, so I'm no longer going to attend games at the Garden. I wish I could say that that was true. I'm definitely going to go to another game. But I, I'll, uh, I'll, we'll see. If they lose again, then maybe I'll, I'll have to uh, lock that back as well. But uh, thanks, uh, everybody, for humoring us with the Boston Sports 10 Minutes. I think we need to rename the segment. It's never just a minute. It's, a, it's a, at least 10 minutes yeah. usually. But we have a lot of fun talking about all sports, and, and we like to get that in there and uh, have a good time with you guys here at the end. We're going to be back on – well, we'll see. We'll, most, we'll definitely be back on Thursday for our first mock draft show of the offseason. We're very excited about yes, that. Sir. So Thursday night, seven-round Patriots mock draft. We finally have the comp picks. We finally have the full draft order. We know where the Patriots are picking. They put Matt Ariza in the mock draft simulator for Alex. So everything is all ready and lined up for mock draft season on Thursday. So we're definitely doing that. If the Patriots make a legitimate move, a huge signing, a flurry of signings, whatever the case may be, we'll definitely hop on uh, between now and then and talk and react to that. But most likely, I think we, we know that you know they might make some marginal ones, but I, I don't think we're seeing any fireworks anytime soon necessarily. So we're going to really start to turn the page now to the draft and really hit it home with the draft and get you guys all educated and, and caught up on everybody that you should know for the Patriots. And we'll, as always, continue to react to any developing news and things like that with the Pats as well. But until next time, signing off for Alex Barth, I'm Evan Lazar. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you on Thursday.